Thank you for listening to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. It's your host, David Clemen. It is March 8th, 2023. I am back from a little hiatus. And um, just wanted to come on and do a little bit of a mini nugget. That's right, a mini nugget. So a lot's been going on. And uh, I have enjoyed the time off. And... I'm considering putting the podcast on hold for a while, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But uh, I wanted to come on and discuss um, recovery and relapse. And in the 12-step group that I'm a part of, there's a chapter called Recovery and Relapse. And, you know, when I first got clean, I always thought the chapter said relapse and recovery, but as I've stayed clean and in recovery for a long time, I feel like recovery can be the norm and relapse is just a part of recovery. It doesn't have to be um, part of your story, but it is a part of my story. So, um, you know, when people relapse, it's tough because I recently had a former sponsee pass away this past week. Um, and you know, it's difficult because you see when you get to know someone in recovery, you kind of get to see their patterns of, of what, what leads up to the relapse and you know as a 12-stepper the pattern is usually the same it's like we get doing we start doing well and we get feeling good about ourselves and the reason that we do feel good about ourselves is because we've we've uh, stopped the using part and we are involved in recovery and going to meetings and working on ourselves and doing step work and writing, journaling, and then also practicing it in our lives and practicing spiritual principles, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. But also there's a transparency and accountability to recovery that uh, goes away when we isolate, we stop talking about what's going on with us. We withdraw from our friends, our loved ones. And um, my experience is that when I have too much free time or alone time, you know, my my mind just has time to kind of work on me and uh, come up with ideas. And, and not all of them are good. And they, the ones from the mind and not the heart tend to be bad ideas where I'm thinking. And so it is sad to see someone that you have worked closely with, intimately with, and, 
you know, they're no longer with us. And that is tough because um, once someone is using, and it doesn't matter what it is, um, there's a kind of a secrecy to it. And then trust is broken in a way. And people start to kind of withdraw because, you know, even though you're loving them from a distance, you can see like the toxicity kind of in their life. And so it's tough to watch. Um, and, you know, I've been there in recovery myself, clean, isolated. And that's a tough one, you know, because people will call and check on you and see how it's going. But if I'm not making any effort and then I'm just isolating, that's not a great place to be for a person in recovery. That's just been my experience. Because one thing about meetings and um, working with a sponsor and having a network and working steps and practicing stuff in our, in our lives is that it's about connection. And if I don't have that connection with other people, then I'm just kind of isolated. And isolation is really the opposite of recovery. You know, recovery is connection. And um, I need that. You know, I definitely, I understand the need for some solitude for sure. You know, um, we're all overstimulated throughout the day with our phones and social media and relationships and work and phone calls at work and customers that we deal with or, uh, you know, the, it's just a lot happens in one day. And so I'm all about taking time just for me, you know, going into my office and taking some time. But when it turns into isolation because I'm doing something that I probably shouldn't be doing, then my self-esteem takes a hit and guilt and shame can really creep in. And uh, once that starts to build, then the secret gets bigger and bigger because I don't want to talk about it, you know, and, um, that's where the recovery kicks in is like, I've got to stay connected. I've got to make phone calls. I've got to answer phone calls. Um, cause if I don't, I'm really putting myself out there, you know? And, um, I mean, I've had to ask for help in recovery with substantial amount of clean time, you know, over and over again, because I don't, I don't just ask for help when I first quit and then there's nothing left to, you know, ask help on. I mean, I've got to ask for help at my job uh, for things that really are out of my scope of knowledge. And that can be stuff with the house or finances or anything. And, you know, there are things that have names in recovery that maybe I haven't been through, but I'm going through it and someone else has been through it. So I can talk to that person about, well, how did you, how did you surrender or how did you let go of this? And what did you do to, 
have some peace with this situation, even though it still was ongoing. And uh, that's one of the things I've been taught in recovery is, you know, uh, people will gladly help if I ask for help. But if I don't ask for help and I just think I know how to stay clean and recover, well, it kind of puts a wall up if I'm not asking for help. I can, you know, I can say like, oh, I want to, I really want to get this thing. But if I'm not actually uttering the words like I need some help, then in a sense, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I'm the last person that I used with. So there's some humility there and asking for help and letting another person in to help me and share their experience and then take some suggestions like, you know, going to meetings, doing some step work and really getting involved with recovery. Um, you know, in relapse, I had an old sponsor tell me, you know, relapse happens when you're working the steps in reverse, like you do three, two, one backwards. So in step three, it says, um, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And um, working three in reverse is essentially saying, I'm taking my will back. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And then, um, you know, in step two, it talks about we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves uh, could restore us to sanity. And then working two in reverse is like, I've got this, you know, I don't need a power greater than myself. You know, I am the great I am. And then working one in reverse, where it says we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. If I work that, how I got here, it's like, I'm basically saying my life's not ma not unmanageable. I've got it. I can handle it. I've got a grasp on it. I can control this thing. That's just not been my experience. Um, so a lot of things happen before we actually pick up the substance or the behavior that caused us the most problems. You know, isolation and then working three, two, one in reverse. And, um, it just, it's not like a rocket science type of formula of why I've seen people relapse and why I relapsed when I first got clean. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go to all these, I'm not going to go to these meetings for the rest of my life. I'm not going to stay around people in recovery the rest of my life. Um. I don't need to do step work or I don't need to do these kind of things. I'll just figure it out on my own. But the problem is that's how I got here was figuring it out on my own. And I wasn't very successful at it. So I had to uh, practice some humility. I had to surrender to the fact that I cannot use anything successfully as far as substances, alcohol or drugs. And <clears throat> You know, for some other people, it's other things. But 
Uh, I still talk to my sponsor once or twice a week. I talk to my old sponsor every Sunday, see him in my home group. And I have a lot of really good relationships from recovery that help me stay clean and in recovery to this day. So, you know, it's important. And, and I'm, I'm talking about all this stuff because, you know, seeing people relapse is really, it's heartbreaking because you're powerless over the other person and you wish you could shake them and help them see the damage they're actually causing to others. But and there it is. It's, it's a form of powerlessness that, you know, you can't save anyone. You can love them and never give up on them, which is a good practice. But there does come a point where a person who wants to change behaviors has to actually ask for the help and then be willing to do the work to change and, and make some, some big changes. And, and, and the thing is, they actually can be small changes to start. I mean, for me, just asking another person for help was a huge, uh, huge, huge factor. Uh, my first sponsor was a lot younger than me, but at the time he had four years clean and I didn't know how to stay clean. So that was huge. And then when he gave me suggestions like reading the first chapter or working the first step or going to meetings quite regularly, I took those suggestions. You know, I didn't do all of them. I did most of them. And we're still we're still friends today. You know, still touch base once, twice a year, maybe three or four times, just depends. And then send each other text on anniversaries and stuff like that. And, um, you know, recovery has changed my life uh, tremendously. Um, the things that I have today are the things I only dreamt of when I was using. And it's not even close. And I would have sold myself short if I wrote a list in the beginning of the things I wanted. You know, I just wanted the pain to stop. I just wanted to stop feeling less than. I wanted to stop feeling the shame and embarrassment of my using and creating wreckage in my life and destroying relationships and pushing people away. Um, I have found the recovery community to be uh, very welcoming. And even when... We make mistakes in recovery. I've found that people are very compassionate, but they will also call me on my BS. And that's what I needed when I got clean because I was living in denial about so many things. You know, um, I didn't have a job. My bank account was in the red. And... So many, so many like fleeting relationships that I went through, intimate relationships. Um, nothing was really stable. Nothing had any longevity. Um, I was not good at conflict. I just ran a lot. Uh, I quit jobs. I got fired from jobs. And um, now this is when I was in my 20s and uh, late 20s, early 30s when I first tried uh, recovery. But um, 
when I was using, I was just a completely different person. And it wasn't a person that I liked. And the more I used, the more I felt bad about the person I was. So then I had to use again to try and numb the pain. And that's the whole thing is that the conscient, the conscious part of our spirit or selves or soul, however you want to look at it, there comes a point for me when it, it the drugs and the alcohol, sex, uh, shop, none of that stuff would numb out the screaming spirit saying, this is not how you're supposed to go out. This is not who you are. And it, it, it wouldn't numb it out. I mean, it, it would keep me up at night. Um, it was a constant kind of chitter chatter of like, you shouldn't be doing this, you know, and it, it, it got louder and louder and louder to where, to where that last night, um, when my ex-girlfriend thought that I'd overdosed, I remember her being on the phone and kind of running through the house screaming, I can't live like this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. And she said what I had been feeling for years. I can't live like this anymore. So fortunately I had been in, I can't even say I was in recovery the first time. I can say that I was abstinent. Like I had stopped the behavior for a little bit, but I, I didn't do what was suggested, like do work the program, you know, like work a program. doesn't matter what it is, but something that will help me um, clean up the wreckage of my past so I can be free moving into the future. And when she said that, it woke me up and I, the next day, the very next day I went to a meeting and that was uh, July 8th, 2006. So I'm coming up on 17 years and uh, it's been quite a journey, but I just wanted to talk about recovery and relapse, you know, and like recovery is really where the freedom is. You know, the, the abstinence is good, but the recovery is really where, things started to change for me. And a lot of that stuff is super uncomfortable, but you know, when I was using, it was way more uncomfortable than the work that I've had to do in recovery. Um, in fact, it's been quite a, a fun time for the most part. Now there's a lot of sadness when someone relapses and dies. Um, it's tough when you see a, a really good friend relapse and, you know, just suffer, you know, cause we, we be, we're very sensitive, compassionate, caring people and we are empathetic and we are empaths. We can feel when someone is suffering, whether they say they are or not. And that's, that can be a difficult part. Um, you know, recovery There's a saying in recovery, it's like, how free do you want to be? And uh, I had a sponsee one time, he was working on his ninth step. And uh, that's where you make your amends, or become willing to make your amends. And uh, he was writing on it, and he called me up. 
He said, Dave. I said, yes, honey. He said, I'm free enough. I'm free enough. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to keep going on this path. I don't. <laughs> I'm free enough. That's what he said to me. <laughs> but I have found that when you, when you really have that gift of desperation that you want to make a change, the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of making the changes. You know what I mean? And so the fear of staying the same has got to be greater than your fear of doing something different. And I was afraid that if I kept using, my life would have been a waste if I didn't make some changes. And that's a damn, that's a crossroads right there. That's a crossroads. But the gifts of recovery just keep coming. And I'm really grateful to be clean. Uh, I have been on the upswing of my attitude and... <clears throat> What I mean by my attitude is that, you know, I got a little little depressed in the winter there towards the end here, but the weather has really made, the days are getting longer, which I love, and the weather is getting nice. I've been able to work in the yard, and I've been able to let go of some stuff that I was holding on to that really wasn't, wasn't serving me very well. You know, it's just uh, self-loathing stuff and constantly just pushing and grinding to think like if I get to this imaginary job or number or whatever, then I'm going to be happy. And that's, it's not how it works. You just have to, I've had to learn that I'm just going to make a decision to be happy and content. And then whatever else comes is a bonus. And that is very, uh, it's a tough thing to practice. It really is. And I see someone who is just generally happy and I can, I can admire that. And I can also be a little jealous of it because I'm like, well, how do they have just such natural joy when I, I do a lot of things and I think I enjoy them, but I don't feel like it's a natural joy. Like I really have to, I don't know. It's like, I don't have the same natural joy flow as others sometimes that I see. And it kind of makes me sad. Like maybe I missed something as a, as a human being, like what am I missing? Did I miss the, the big picture? You know, cause I, when I'm miserable, I'm like hyper focused on something outside of me. That's going to fix it. Yet, when I am content and can give myself credit for whatever it is, you know, getting clean, getting a job, keeping that job, getting raises at that job, um, doing something nice for someone else, um, being a part of my parents' lives, life still, um, being a part of other people's lives and helping them recover doing this podcast, you know, making plans to travel and having something to look forward to, then 
you know, we build self-esteem by doing esteemable things and that can be donating to a charity or, you know, contributing to a GoFundMe that you see that sounds interesting and you'd like to help out all that stuff builds self-esteem, you know, and, um, I'm grateful for those kinds of things. So, you know, if you're out there and you're still using, or if you're just getting back and, you know, you're not really sure what to do, just know that like it, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. And, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling, I, I hope that the gift of desperation compels you to actually cross over the threshold and ask for help. And, you know, help is available. And so with that, I think that's about it for this week's mini nugget. I hope you're well. I want to thank you for showing up for your recovery today. And uh, much love. Thanks again for listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Get in touch with the show via Instagram at Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Also, the email is recoverynuggetspodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Recovery Nuggets podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I'm not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experience, strength, and hope. Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest.